0: PD Raw is a podcast sharing the experiences and insights of people with personality disorders or traits. By being brave and talking about the things that are shameful and painful, humans demystify and destigmatize the things that we hide. The aim of this podcast is to let others know that they are not alone. By showing the reality behind our walls, we hope to bring people closer together, connecting in a more open and authentic way. Please be aware that, due to its topic, this podcast is adults only, not safe for work, and may contain triggering content.
1: Welcome again, our loyal and captive audience. And today, do I ever have a treat for all of you. We've got a group pod with two of the favorite woman and disordered mothers, not mine, but in my <laughs> life and in my orbit these days. And I am so glad to introduce them. Maybe I wish they could be. No, we're not going to go down that line of thought. Uh, Noda and Sarah Cluster B Milkshake, how you guys doing?
2: Very good. Hey. Thank you.
0: <laughs> I'm fairly well, despite my late night, or should I say, early morning or mid-morning. Just goes to show you that being
1: disordered, being a mom, you can still have it all and still get out on the town and get down. <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
0: The next day is not going to be pretty, though.
1: (laughs) True, true. But you know what? That's a problem for tomorrow. Oh, shit. Today's tomorrow. (laughs) So anyways, moving on. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, today we wanted to talk about motherhood and mothers and being disordered. So I guess I'll do the asking of questions because I am not a mother and don't have my own kids. And, you know, let's keep it that way for the time being. But yeah, I guess a good place to start this, and then we'll see where we go, is to just ask you both to maybe describe your kids. Tell us something about them. So let's start with Sarah. You know, she's the guest. So, you know, don't everybody rush to the podium at the same time. Okay.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I have my first is 28, a boy, and then I have a 22-year-old daughter and a 17-year-old son. And my, I had them far apart for a few reasons, and I also had them for selfish reasons, okay? So my first son, I was 20 years old when I had him, and I was a drug addict before I got pregnant. And I had a child because I knew that there was no way I would ever do drugs if I had a child, because I grew up with a drug addict father. And in when I was a teenager, I lived in a house that was just like a drug house. And so, and there was kids around and it was so disgusting. And I was like, I'm never going to be that type of parent. And I couldn't get off drugs just for myself. So... No. I, Yeah. So, Just
1: just a quick question there. Maybe this is a little gauche, but if you talk to any drug prevention people and been like, you know, I have this really great solution. It's pregnancy. No. Okay. All right. I'm (laughs) an asshole and shouldn't even be thinking these things. Please continue.
2: No. Well, I think because of what I didn't know at the time, maybe it's a grandiose thing, right? Like nobody's going to tell me what to do. I do what I want, right? Right. So, no, I would never seek help from the outside world. I'm always raw dogging it myself. So that's the motto. Yeah. <laughs> so when I met my first husband, he was a drug addict too. And I decided, I well, I'm going to get pregnant. And then he said, okay, we'll get off drugs together. Now he Only did for a tiny bit, and he kept doing drugs. I didn't do them anymore. But I made my child turned into the quote-unquote golden child. Okay? So he was my everything. I did everything for this kid. He was... My whole life revolved around just him. No man was going to be above my son. No one. Not even my second husband. Nobody. You know, it was always my second husband called him the prince. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not. And my son was a really great kid. He was always doing well in school. My second husband was a wonderful father figure in the sense of discipline, not not hands-on or anything like that but he had boundaries and stuff like that you know and you have to do these things and didn't let him get away with shit but I was always the parent that was also an enabler for them to be their own people because I didn't want my children to abandon me Okay, So I made sure that I would always I cook for them, bring them lunch. And I never had this shit growing up, okay? So I went the total other way where I'm like, okay, I'm gonna lunch and I'm gonna do your laundry. It's all gonna be folded. I would even clean his room for him, okay? But he was really good and very respectful. But I see now how I wasn't letting him be his own person, if if that makes sense. I was making sure that I was I was a helicopter parent and my anxiety controlled the relationship. Okay? So, I hated talking to other parents, dude. I hated masking up and, you know, or or like the PTA and stuff. Hell to the no doing play dates fuck that because then i would have to hang out with the parents and everything so i sort of isolated my kids too and even if they wanted to go out and do stuff i'd always either talk them out of it if they wanted to you know go to school and go to work and have that work ethic going on i would tell them to quit their job so they can only focus on school and if they quit their job they won't leave the house
1: yeah. Right? I was just thinking here that some of the elements of abusive relationships of needing them for your own ego and the control and kind of sabotage of their autonomy and independence are yes. coming out there, which is it, yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, and it was completely unaware. I thought I was being the greatest <laughs> second parent, dude. I'm telling you. And I'm and I'm ruining their lives by not letting them become their own adult people you know the car the car break, oh let me get you new tires let me let me let me let me and i am the type of person that if like say they they never had boyfriends or girlfriends because they were too afraid that i was going to put them through a vetting process
1: Oh, right. Nice. here here i'll add in something maybe not a mother myself but from my mother and that was that dating for me was fractious growing up because she was constantly jealous of the woman who gave me attention and picking fights with them and shit. And she continued to do that even with other girlfriends. I won't introduce her to like my current partner. Well, partners, they don't oh. know I'm not monogamous <laughs> And after I fucked off, she started picking fights with my brother's wife and his or her mother and mm-hmm. she ended the relationship with them by screaming at them when they were over there for christmas and not spending time with her and the relationship was rocky and they were just like oh, i'm fucking done with this so yeah that's that's parallels here
2: yeah well one thing that because i didn't want to be Like my mother, she was borderline flavor and I did not, I wanted to do the opposite. So I would even buy child psychology books and stuff because my daughter, she was the total opposite of my son. And so she was more like, my mother says she was more like me. So I have a mini me running around and she's just talking over everybody. She's fucking very entitled about, look at me, look at me all the time. And I'm just like, fuck, can you shut the fuck up? But I mean,
1: <laughs> Is um, it like telling yourself to shut the fuck up when she says it or something like that? Like-
2: <laughs> I, th- I think, I mean, I am sure that there was a lot of projection going on. There was a lot of just me seeing myself in her. Yes. And... When she would become over emotional and when i say over emotional this is probably just normal (laughs) right (laughs) because i was beat down for having any emotions whatsoever when i was a kid so i became to not have them and when so this is new for me seeing this very emotional girl, I did not know how to handle it. And so I would try to just dismiss all of her emotional needs. I was the parent that would tell her to go to her room and cry that shit out. And I would never talk to her afterwards about what's going on. She would, she would lash out like saying, I don't know how to do math. She's in the fifth grade. I don't know what two plus two is. So she would be like doing these things to get my attention. I didn't understand it at the time. And I would just be so angry and frustrated with her that I just wanted her out of my sight. And after i realized oh my god what the fuck am i doing you know that i started to research in everything but the thing is is that i already instilled whatever i'm going to ruin in my child's brain early right so even though i tried to correct the the behaviors that i was aware of later on like when she was in high school if she was upset and she cried i would go and hug her and i would let her cry and then talk about things or whatever you know? So I was trying to make up for it, you know what I mean? But when my kids would come home, I would stop everything that I'm doing and then pay attention to them. They would decompress their day and then I would go back to what I was doing. But I was not always like that. I used to be fucking drinking all the time on my fucking phone all the time, not paying attention to them at all, okay? And... That that really fucked him up too. And then my my husband, who's very military, so he he isn't dealing with any emotions at all. So when I started to learn about being more attentive and stuff, and I think it came with my my youngest son being diagnosed with autism late. So he was ten, and so I had to learn. To be more attentive of his emotions and be a good listener and not try to control him through guilt, manipulation. You know the whole fucking mommy thing where it's like, well, I'm just going to guilt trip the shit out of you or tell you all the things that I do for you and you better behave and be grateful. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. Oh no, I'm an autistic
1: haven't. child. They just have no idea what the fuck you're on about.
2: No, well, not just that he's very angry. So he has a second diagnosis, what they could diagnose at 10 years old, which was emotional disturbance and what it's come out through over the year. I see it's cluster B stuff, right? But with him, he, he thinks he can read his, my mind. He thinks I'm angry when I'm not. He, you know, so he'll make up these things. So I have turned into an over explainer to him, you know, and trying to really care for his emotional needs. When I do talk to him, it's still, it's still very hard for me to connect with him emotionally because I have, there's, it's very hard for me because I don't know what to ask I don't know what to, I don't know how to get it out of him because all through his childhood, there was, there was three kids, then my husband, and then me dealing with my shit. And so he's the youngest. So he kind of got left behind because both the older kids are always trying to talk. My husband loves to talk. So everybody's talking over him all the time. So he was just sitting there at the dinner table every day, quiet. So that's ingrained in him now to where if I do ask him how he's feeling, he doesn't think I wanna know.
1: Well, something I was also gonna ask is whether or not you found it difficult to ask him questions based on it was hard to understand how to reach him because of like being autistic and it's like not an of experience you had to learn. Or if it's just something where like, even with your first kids, where you screwed it up at first, where you just don't know, how to ask those questions about like what's going on inside and how to draw somebody else. You never had it shown to you. And it's just a difficult thing in the first place.
2: Well it was pretty easy with my first son because I would spend, you know, he was my first kid. I got to be alone with him for six years before the next child came. So I dumped all of my attention into him and I was a self helper and everything. So he would get upset about whatever. I would try to teach him to be in the present moment and all this shit. And I really tried to mold him into this maybe perfect child. And so anytime when I saw him in distress, I wanted to fix it. So I didn't want to punish him for it. I wanted to fix it. I didn't want to see him in pain. I didn't want to see him stressed out. And I think this is where sometimes cluster B parents cross that line into parental emotional incest, because you're making this child almost like your partner that you're supposed to have this bond with yeah and I but I would never unless I was drunk and being a toxic shithead I would never make my son take care of my emotional needs but I do I do remember when I was drunk sometimes and if I was fighting with dad or something I fucking made him my confidant and that is wrong never do that that's toxic as shit
1: Benefit from the experience here, listeners. Don't go find out yourself at home. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> and, you know, your your kids are not your therapist. Your kids are not to be pitted against the other parent either. And my husband and I started doing that in the end of our relationship. Because my son was an adult. He was 26 or whatever. And unfortunately, my son took it upon himself to be the referee
0: and yeah
2: yeah. and that that wasn't good because usually my son is always on my side because i'm always protecting him from everybody else and then one time my husband he was drunk and he went in and started saying all this fucking shit about me and i wasn't drinking and my son comes to me and he's very calm he's very dismissive of my side and he's on dad's side. And I was so upset. I didn't yell at him. I was just like, get away from me. I cannot talk to you. And this is not your job to be a mediator between me and dad. This is a me and dad thing. And I was trying to tell him that, but he was already in that role. So he didn't want to stop being in that role either, which I totally understand. And when I went back in the house to talk to dad, dad lied and said, I never said that you know, something that he said to my son. And my son said, yes, you did. And he found out for that first day that he was being gaslit by dad. And I think he was just like, fuck both of you <laughs> in that moment, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, and, man.
1: Uh, I mean, that, yeah. that's some so, great sh- That is some incredible shit there. I want to come back to that. But I want to get our other gal pal in here, if we can, just to talk about her kids. But you want to finish up that thought, Milkshake? Yeah. Oh, no, no, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, just going to make some space here for Noda and just throw her into it. Yeah, you, you go, Noda. <laughs> your turn. Yeah, Noda, it's, I think your turn. Let's get a description of your kids and kind of some things that you think are interesting to start with.
0: Okay, so I've got two and I always wanted to be a mother but my relationships didn't work in my 20s. So I was a bit older when I met my partner and I'd basically practically given up, but my childhood was quite lonely. So my parents are from another country. They're from two different countries and they came to Australia. And so all the extended family was overseas And I would say my dad is very, very avoidant. And my mum is an echo, actually. If you look at the personalities in a narcissistic family, she is an echo. Yeah. And yeah, not really into emotions, though, or anything, just kind of quiet but busy. So I just spent a lot of time on my own in my room, reading books doing crafts that kind of a thing and being very quiet and I yeah I re- but I really really wanted to have that family so we got going fairly quickly as soon as I found my partner and the other thing was that he he described his family and it's like a large slightly chaotic it, it's a clan let's yeah it's a clan it's a large noisy warm clan and it's very extended And they adore children. So when I found that out, I went, okay, you are the father of my children. And when I was pregnant... One thing I'll just
1: jump in there just to be the little gadfly here interrupting you both. But it's just interesting that I hear something similar to Sarah there where you're just like... Target acquired, I found my man, this is the father. It's just like, you know, you're, you're looking for the one who's going to be it. And like, once you got it, it's just, you know, I'm sinking my hooks in and it's time to fucking go. So it's, you know what you're looking for. You kind of know when you found the thing that you want and then you make it happen. So that's just kind of interesting.
2: I also see another theme with us closer bees that because of our own childhoods that we want to create the perfect family.
1: Does that make yep. sense? Oh yep. yeah, I heard that too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. So, and I was gonna, I'll say to you, few that I think, yeah, I'm merely a vehicle for perpetuating species, and yeah, but there is something <laughs> 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 very determined about that, and yeah, it's like a purpose for existing. I think is like, yeah, target acquired. Let's get some sperm and get on with it. But yeah, I was very anxious in the first pregnancy because I hate hospitals and doctors and stuff like that. And then when I had my baby, I, yeah, I was just shocked and I went into postnatal depression and I'd already found a therapist then and just started with therapy because I knew I was going to be a totally fucked up parent because I'd, I'd had some time in psychiatric hospitals and I knew that just isn't a good part of a childhood. But yeah, so I had this baby and uh, I fell into this huge depression and also, I didn't know what to do with a child. You know, I had no knowledge. I hadn't grown up around smaller cousins or siblings or anything like that. So I said to my partner, let's move to the state where your family is. And that was really a lifesaver because they just sort of embrace me and really helped me and I used to watch my mother-in-law so I let her take control for the first few years and I would just sit there and absorb what she did and go oh this is what being a parent or carer of a child is about and actually I got some nurturing by proxy because she's very very warm She worked in childcare for all of her career. And I just sit there and watch her nurturing my children and just pick up on it as well. So it gave me some internal loving and warmth, which was really nice. Mm -hmm. And I'd I'd say, yeah, that's why they didn't haven't ended up as fucked up as (laughs) their parents because I was not good at the age they they are now and actually neither was my partner so he was the eldest and it it was a chaotic family and his dad didn't do very well and because he was like the little man that hung out with his dad he copped a lot of his dad's shit and yeah he he had a lot of responsibility because they had no money they're not they're not white-collared they didn't have access to doing uh, jobs that were secure or safe or well paid so it was a hard life and there was violence in the family too so and they've got that traditional attitude about men you know that they're it's also an Australian thing and a bush thing because the nature here can be really really harsh so the people who live in the bush are very very tough And also reticent, so they don't talk about their feelings. So I think Aussie blokes, and that means men, Aussie men have traditionally, yeah, never expressed their feelings, just had to be very, very tough and physically very tough and just endure. So yeah, he had a lot of baggage as well.
1: So Um, I wanted to jump in. I got kind of two questions or kind of observations in my head. So one was kind of like what you are saying. And maybe, I don't know, Sarah, if this happened to you too, but people, they kind of sell like, you're a mother and it's going to be amazing and it's incredible. And it happens and you don't have the skills because we have these atomized families or dysfunctional families. And if you don't have a larger community to go to, to pick these up, to learn from kind of great aunts or this larger clan like you're talking about, you don't know how to do these things. And so having that kind of whole village to raise a child, but also just each other in it is really necessary. And then the other thing was what you were talking about with the postpartum depression and the shock. And I find it interesting because you can almost see how you're really vulnerable to it because there were so many things you didn't know, but then also so much you needed or- wanted from it. You wanted the ideal family. There's a wish fulfillment, a desire that you wanted from it. Then the reality shows up in it. You don't know what to do. And it's not like what you're imagining. As you said, you go go into shock, you get depressed. And I wonder if people (coughs) who idealize are kind of vulnerable to that postpartum depression or if that's a part of it.
0: Yeah, I would say, so the first point is, I really do think that the nuclear family is Not necessarily very good a lot of the time because we're not bringing kids up with a number of adults. And I think children should have a bit of a smorgasbord of kids, uh, of sorry, adults to pick from so that when mum's in a shitty mood or when dad's not available or whatever, or even when they're not able to give the kind of response that the child needs, they're then able to go to another adult and access something that they can't get from their parents. So, I, yeah, that sort of really does concern me about modern parenting. And to the second point, yeah, definitely I – so I actually went into a mother-baby unit because I had private health insurance. So I spent (coughs) two weeks in there being very depressed and like they bumped me up on some antidepressants which was good because they kicked in after two weeks and they had nurses there who'd show me how to you know bathe my child and cuddle my child and try and have some nice moments but it was very very stressful and then we moved and I found another therapist who was the same type as the previous one which is um, a psychodynamic psychotherapist. And I just started in with him and stuck with him for five years to try and become a better parent. Um I was about to,
1: I was about to, uh, you know, yeah, so kind of get you two in dialogue with each other. I wanted to see if Sarah had anything to respond to there that Noda has been saying.
2: I also, my second husband, he had the tight knit family. And when I married him, they were very inviting you know i was i felt like they would say i love you to each other all the time and they're the ones that taught me kind of like when i say i love you i mean it you know wow yeah it was very
1: weird Yeah. i am dude incredible
2: i mean i mean my my both of my in-laws are very narcissistic on their own but because they have that kind of like mafia to him. It's like my family, mine, mine. And so, yeah. And so I felt like I was finally in a family. So that was awesome. But my husband, he always had to be perfect in every way. He couldn't fuck up. Always both him and his brother, always striving for goals. We have to go in the Marines. Dad was a Marine, you know, but they always helped us out with whatever we needed. And when they would help with the kids though is that they didn't give a shit what i had to say about raising my kids like mm. like if i said don't cut my daughter's hair cuz my i was growing out my daughter's hair she didn't give a shit she took scissors and fucking made bangs on her and stuff i was so angry because it was so disrespectful but I had to hold that in and not get enraged on her for crossing these boundaries all the time.
1: I was just thinking that you can't do shit because they've shown you so much (laughs) or, like, they've given you so much, so you kind of just got to eat that shit with a grin on your face.
0: Yeah, and just like I would say... Can I ask something about that too, though? Was it part of a a power struggle? So that was your mother-in-law... Was there a power struggle in you sort of going, well, I'm the mother, so actually I do have the authority and this is what I want. And then you were being undermined that way? I
2: was being undermined in different ways that I just kind of learned to let things go so I didn't have to fight. One time I came home from work. She was watching my daughter. I came home from work to breastfeed my daughter. You know, my tits are freaking rocks, right? So I come home to breastfeed. I only have an hour. Yeah, I know that feeling. (laughs) (laughs) I come home and she fed the baby a bottle before I got there I was fucking pissed and I was just Mm. like fuck and I drove off angry and I came back afterwards and I apologized to her for being angry because I was like Okay, you know, it's not a big deal and you're taking care of the baby. I should be grateful. And so it also taught me just don't fight over dumb shit. But they have candy up in the house. I'm not a candy person. I don't dump a bunch of I don't keep soda in the house, nothing. And the kids would always run to their house because we live next door to each other. And they would run to the house and get candy. And I'd oh, say, please, I'd say please.
1: Good for boundaries. <laughs> mm. Yeah.
2: Yes. And I'm like, please don't give them candy. Please don't give them candy. I mean i'm begging and they're like i do what i want type yeah and i'm just like fuck so yeah. now i have to just let them fucking sugar dump now i have no control over that either and of course my husband isn't going to say nothing so i'm just like all right And is this really a big issue for me? Even though I'm feeling disrespected, but they do so much for me. Okay, I'll just fucking let it go. And they're also the type that they don't knock, they just walk into your house. And I'm just like, and I got used to it, and I'm just like, okay, I don't care. So I was conditioned not to care anymore. yeah yeah. and so I was just so I'm not the type of person that was always fighting now when my brother-in-law got married she wasn't having any of it. No boundary crossing, no nothing. And she got into fights all the time with my mother-in-law and then my mother-in-law would get into this depression and stuff. And then that made me angry with the person who was putting the boundaries on the mother-in-law,
0: you know? Oh, wow. Yeah. So yeah, what what I'm hearing, few are you hearing this It's a family where there is enmeshment and boundaries are not respected. And seriously, like I think, well, I guess I am easygoing in some ways. But yeah, I think if your boundaries are respected like the important things, then you don't necessarily need to fight over the the little things. But I'm hearing that it's like we're going to give you stuff, but the trade-off is that you're going to have to accept us becoming enmeshed and and not respecting your boundaries and then you're drawn in to that drama because that's really between your mother-in-law and your sister-in-law so it's nothing to do with you um and yet you're taking sides so you're being enmeshed and drawn into that drama so well
2: I I didn't say anything but I felt like I was the better daughter-in-law so I uh, had that shine oh, right Competition. <laughs> yeah, competition. but I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say anything. I'm just like, I'm I'm the better, I'm better. You know? But yeah. whatever. And I live next door to them. So I could see them anytime I want, or the kids could run up there and see anytime. So I felt fucking better anyways you know my kids are better and my oh, I'm better and better we,
1: we have all these complicated ego needs of all these yeah. players yeah. here, acting against uh-huh. each other and everybody trying to get their satisfaction and the after effects oh what a nightmare yeah
2: but even though i felt like that bond with the family one time because i was working until i had my third child and then i stayed home and took care of everything right at home and then i was like I want to get a part time job and work at a cafe just on the weekends so I can get out and talk to adults and whatever. And my mother in law t- told my husband, Is she going to keep that money to herself? I was, oh, I couldn't no fucking believe it. I've been yeah. in this family half of my whole life okay and now she's thinking that i'm being this shady fuck with funds i'm not saying i didn't do shady shit at the end of the relationship i'm not saying that <laughs> but, <laughs> but at that time to- at that time i was like this is my family and we're nest egging together because my father passed away i got all of his pension his death benefit he was in a lawsuit my sister and i got all that money and it went straight into our savings and put down on a, my f- husband's new truck put a new deck for my husband because i didn't give a shit about the deck he did you know i'm trying to show my gratitude by with money that's another thing is because my mom was all about strings attached with money so i had a very bad relationship with money so i'm a money hoarder i take Mm -hmm. care of the bills i make sure that you know money isn't being overspent all this i'm very controlling when it would come to money
1: right and uh so i'm just gonna Throw it back to Noda there, because we've gotten down some other paths. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we, we were kind of leaving Noda hanging a bit there, because she had more to say to us still about a bit of her journey with kids and where it was going. So... Oh, and Noda,
2: Noda, I did have a postpartum depression too with my last child, so I know exactly oh, did what you would... Went...
0: Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, and what I heard with your former mother-in-law, that comment is, again, it's... It's crossing boundaries because it's the suggestion that there's something wrong with you having something of your own that's private to yourself. Yeah. And then there's the implication that the family and others should be stepping into that space and controlling that space. And yeah, so I'm I'm hearing enmeshment there. Well, you know, um, what I was mm,
1: one of the things I might have been hearing there is it depends on how old she is. Like maybe there's this old fashioned mentality of women stay home, like they make house they take care of the kids if you're going out and trying to earn your own money what are you trying to do you're trying to get independent you're trying to break free what's the angle here
2: that's why it's weird oh she okay had a career. Right. okay uh-huh. yeah so, so it we, was like maybe not was, that angle huh. no but it was still protecting her son so i right. understand this because i was the same way with my kids it's like if a boyfriend or a husband or wife came to me with problems about one of my children i'm not going against my kids okay so
1: motherfuckers
2: yes and that's how they felt about their sons too so they were always protecting their sons always their sons their sons even when my ex-husband and i got into a really bad fight he was really drunk and everything and i was pregnant with my third child they came down to to our home and, you know, I was going to pack up my shit in the van and go to my mom's or whatever. They came down and they basically kidnapped my daughter and took her up the hill because they're like, you're not taking the kid away. They gave no fucks about me.
0: Jeez. Oh, that's yeah. just no. That's yeah. yeah. Who's the parent there? They're just stepping over the lines there because they're, Grandparents, so they don't actually have custody. Yeah. So, yeah, though, yeah, I'm hearing lots of boundary crossing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm, mm. But um, I'll get back into the postnatal depression because, yeah, so I started up with therapy and I do remember, yeah, being so down. And it happened again with my second child. And I remember my therapist saying to me, are you angry because you're not the baby and that was really hard to hear yeah but it was true yeah and the more i look back the more i'm able to tolerate that so my oh, fantasy I, I, as a child yeah um, oh. which i developed from very you know the age that i'd started being small and wanting to have a family was obviously that being uh, in a family, creating a family of my own would then give me the the love that I'd missed out on and the parenting, the parental love. So when I had my child, it was a huge shock when they actually arrived because then I was faced with the fact that no, they're not going to give me love, which they do, but you know, not the love that I needed. I'm going to have to give that and so the depression for me was the rage, and I can say that looking back. It was the rage that I was going to be denied what I'd always wanted, and then suddenly I'd have to find within myself something that I didn't have anything of, so it was a bit of a crisis, and I'm glad I had someone and yeah, some people to come along and actually provide some of that. And then, you know, for me to get it as well, because I just did not have any of it. And what I know about my own infancy is that My parents, just after I was born, they moved overseas and I know my mum and her mum did not have good infancies and did not have much affection. And my mother has told me that she thinks she had the equivalent of postnatal depression and she fell pregnant when I was four months old. So she fell pregnant with my sibling. And she said she was just very, very nauseous the entire time. So I think I didn't get much affection from infancy. And so looking at my own child and thinking I've got to give them love and nurture was incredibly challenging.
1: Oh man, yeah. I gotta jump in there quickly. There was something that was thick. So I'll say the first part, which is more serious, actually, well, sort of serious. But the first one is that that's an incredible insight for you to have, to recognize that part of the depression was the betrayal of the fantasy or the deep longings or the idealization. You're kind of even connecting something for me there. Of the deepest depressions that I have had are usually when something has happened in my life that's kind of undermined my hopes or desires or my entitlements for how I think the world or other people should act and part of getting over those depressions is changing our perspective or acceptance and moving in a new direction or integration and so yeah the second thing i was going to say a little bit tongue-in-cheek but a lot of seriousness here <laughs> um, so i know you're saying sarah that you've seen the boys again great show and so mental illness he was just i just listened to one of his episodes about how narcissistic people will be envious and jealous of children for getting the attention that they don't and it was making me think of homelander like all the scenes with him with the baby with stillwell in the first season which Mm -hmm. is just when you're not prepared for it go watch it ah it is awkward it's hilarious it's just like what the fuck is going on here but (laughs) it's but it's seemingly very accurate and i mean even is kind of describing it here of When you're disordered and you have these idealizations or these needs or these wounds and you're bringing those to the situation and then you actually have this kid here and they need attention, they need love, they take away the mother's attention or admiring or you are the mother and you're just like, wait a second, this isn't like what they sold in the Huggies commercials, this is actually a lot of effort. Motherhood isn't a necessarily a benefit in and of itself. You have to work to get to those and you actually have to have something inside yourself to fill the kid up so they can fill you back up. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah go ahead. Sir. Sorry,
2: I resonate with uh, how you felt with the postpartum thing. Cause when it was happening to me, I was, we were living with my in-laws. And while well, our house was being built and I, t- I told her that I basically wanted to off myself
0: oh. and
2: Damn um, because I had my because we were staying in their homes, I had to stay in a room by myself with the baby. My husband was downstairs in a study playing video games and everything, and he had his he had his Ooh. own space. Yeah. So, and and I felt completely alone, totally alone with this baby. And when I told her this insecurity or vulnerability, she said, "I have no reason to be feeling this way." Because my house was being built, I have a new baby, all this wonderful shit, and that's true, but she didn't get it. And I understand, because postpartum depression is a motherfucker, but I didn't do therapy, I didn't do meds, I did nothing. But like a light switch flipped, and I was just like, do your job. And then I went straight to doing my job which was taking care of the kids. I cooked dinner every night cause she was still going to work, father-in-law going to work. So I took care of the house while they were gone. Well, usually just the food and everything, but yeah. So I was just like, know your role and do it. And so that's what I was doing. And then yeah. yes, yes. Everybody was all happy with the new baby. There was no, I was just an entity,
0: you know, mm. that's
2: it. And I was, so that's what I did. And that's how I powered
0: through that. Yeah. Okay. So you felt empty inside or unhappy, but you just went through the actions. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. 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 So I just went
2: into robot mode.
0: Yeah. And then what, when you said that about your mother-in-law saying that you had no right basically to feel that way. And that's such a theme that comes up, I think with people who are diagnosed with personality disorders is you don't have a right to your feelings and you shouldn't feel that way. And when that's done really extensively, that's just so invalidating of who you are inside and I think that's that's how we get to that way, you know, because we've received that message that we shouldn't feel the way. And that's our identity really is how we feel about the world, views, our perspectives, our thoughts. And when that's just invalidated extensively, you, you just feel that you're so wrong on so many levels. And that's yeah, I think that's the whole foundation of the disorder. But yeah, I wouldn't
2: um, let my I wouldn't let myself feel nothing
0: because
2: okay. i mean i i grew up where my feelings were invalidated like you say and so i never looked at taking care of my inner self or anything like that i was just like this is yeah. your role do your role
0: yeah. yeah and then so you don't have that emotional nurturance to be able to give to your kids cuz you're just <laughs> ignoring yourself but that's all you can do so you're just powering on that way yes And I I was going to say to you, Few, that I think it's motherhood is work, but it's also that, and it's, I think it's the mum thing too, is you're a goddamn battery of emotion that the baby and others drain off you. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, you're, you know, it's an important thing. But if you don't have that sort of warmth and goodness inside yourself, it's panic mode. Because how these people, like you, look at the baby. How are you going to give them that when you, you've got nothing inside you? And then also, there's, there was for me resentment as well. Like, you know, they want this from me. I don't have it. And it's it's exhausting and terrifying too when you, you just know that you don't have it inside you. What the fuck are you going to do? Because babies don't disappear. That's the other thing. As soon as they arrive, and did you get this, Sarah? The day they are born, your sleep changes. So you never, ever sleep deeply again. Mm-hmm. You're always, yeah. And it's the day they're born, you're always on alert. So you you do, yeah, you do become that battery. And when there's not much goodness inside you, that's quite terrifying.
2: Yeah, well, I was also the emotional support system for the whole family Mm. and nobody was there for me. Are you saying this
0: about your family-in-law? I'm saying this.
2: uh, No, I'm talking about my husband too. So I think my resentments didn't go to the kids. My resentment went
1: to him. You know, Mm. something that's been kind of ringing in the back of my mind as we've been saying this, and this is kind of an intuition that I have of when people are having like marriages or kids and it's these big, bright events. People are always like, oh, like, you're so happy. You're so excited. And some, you know, I'll say that, but then also be like, you know, but how you feel like, because this is a big thing. This is going to be difficult. It's going to tax you down to your last vestiges of energy to really make a relationship work well, to have kids and to take care of them well. And we do a bit of a disservice, a bit of sort of a gaslighting or this idealization of, you know, you have a marriage and you're happy. You have kids, they give you fulfillment. But it doesn't work like that. And we don't give the resources to people for the underside of the difficulties of it and what's fraught. And particularly like you're both saying as moms, you both describe kind of the situation happening to you and it's just fucking sink or swim. It's just, nobody prepares you. Nobody really helps you The your perspective isn't quite understood or validated as much. I mean, in Noda's case, she had to go to therapy to get that emotional nurturance and support through that time. And mm-hmm. it's, oh, I mean, you could almost say it's kind of a function of misogyny or of the difficulties in our cultures and societies to actually adequately explain what that experience or phenomenon is gonna be like and to prepare a woman for it. And instead it's just, yeah, no, it's gonna be great. And you know, you're gonna be a mom and you'll pick it up like maternal instincts and add a girl champ. And it's just like, no, it's difficult. You need support yourself. You're still a human. You're not just the affection giving robot or linchpin to the family. And it's difficult that people don't have access to that kind of perspective or information beforehand as often.